You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Thompson. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is the city's largest and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting the work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space, including Ingen Jorgensen, Brenda Sirioni, Daniel Corey, Jill Hoy, and Dave Allen. For complete show details, please visit our website at artcollectormain.com. Love, Maine Radio is also brought to you by Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where every body is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at aristel.com. Nancy Thompson is an insurance agent who lives in Cape Elizabeth. In 2004, her son Timmy took his life as a result of depression. Since that time, both Nancy and her husband have been speaking publicly about the loss to save other lives. Thanks for coming in. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me here. It's really very, um, you have a picture of your son, Tim. Always take him with me. Yeah, he's sitting here with us. And as someone who has a son who is um, now 24, I, I just remember this age so vividly, and I remember um, just the sense that how could anything really go wrong in life? They're so, they're so energetic. Mm-hmm. They're so full of life. And yet it did for mm-hmm. you. And mm-hmm. I just, even looking at your son, I, I, it just makes my heart break as a mom. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Um, he was an incredible kid. Um, lots of energy, um, loved by all, um, wonderful, wonderful soul. Always had a smile on his face and was the first one to seek out if somebody was not um, up to par. If they were down and out, he'd be the first one. He'd be the class clown to uh, make them laugh or make them smile or put that long arm around them. He was six foot three, 175 pounds, uh, long and lean and uh, just a loving, loving kid. And the sense um, that Timmy had, he would always be, he was very sensitive. So he knew when other friends were kind of struggling and uh, he was kind of the go-to kid. Um, But just always, always fun. So never, never in my wildest dreams did I ever imagine that uh, he had this internal struggle uh, called depression uh, that comes on so suddenly and so strong like a, ferocious um, uh, just illness that just takes over it takes over your mind and he's still there in that body he's still there in that facade but yet the mind changes so quickly and so dramatically and my husband Tim and I were really struggling to try and uh, help him and it was a very short period of time it's a time of like you said excitement high school when kids are just so, they're coming out sideways because they're all nervous about which college they're gonna to go to, where their friends are gonna end up. And it's just very exciting. It's all the last of all of the things that they've done for four years in high school. And suddenly and slowly, um, he would, his personality started to change just towards the end of the school year. He turned 18 on May 1st and was so excited about uh, being 
a, a true adult and uh, just going out into the world. And I could just see um, a couple of times he had just grabbed me in the kitchen. You know, I was always grabbing him by the waist because he was so tall and pulling him in just to give me a hug before he left. And I could just see on his face, it was just, it was different. It wasn't Timmy. And uh, we knew he was struggling a little bit, but didn't understand the whole process of depression and how it can kind of take over your personality. So we started to ask questions, um, try to get him into a doctor. He had been um, attention deficit disorder, um, hyperactivity uh, since um, childhood. And all the teachers would say, oh, don't worry about it. He's got a lot of energy. When he grows up, he'll be a CEO of a company. He'll be in sales because he'll have that energy. He'll corral that energy and he'll go out and do something wonderful in the world. So we got him to age 18. We got him through the school system, graduating from Cape Elizabeth High School. We did all those milestones. And then all of a sudden, he started to change in May and June. And literally, we were fighting for his life. And it's not an easy thing to get help for something like this, is it? Gosh, no. No. One of my good friends is a psychiatric nurse. I didn't even think in my own mind to pick up the phone and ask her and say, these are the types of signs that I'm seeing. He's being restless. He's, he wants to stay up at nighttime. He's sleeping in the daytime, where Timmy never slept in the daytime. Um, not, the eating patterns had started to change. And this is all within just a couple of weeks of time. So people rack it up for you know senior summer. They're busy. They're not getting the right sleep. They're running on empty. In hindsight, everything is perfect, you know, but the perfect storm was ahead of me and I didn't understand what that perfect storm was with all of the stresses that he had going on in his life at age 18. And having worked with 18-year-olds for a long time as a doctor, mm -hmm. they're not always <laughs> interested in getting Listening, help right. or interacting in talking mm -hmm. about things that are hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, actually, I think I know a lot of adults this way too, but right. to be an 18-year-old and sometimes not even have the words. Right. Independent. Thinking they can figure it out on their own. And looking back, most of his friends, they were so devastated uh, when Timmy took his life because they had no idea the internal struggle that he had, just like his family. I mean, we're a really tight family. We ate meals together. We were together. The seven Thompsons were glued together. So his four siblings would have done anything in the world. They would have, as I, as I always say, the kids said that they would have been with him 24-7 if they had to. And I tell everybody, I would have strapped that kid to my back. I would have carried him 24-7. Had I known, you know, six weeks after we started to think that he was having some problems, I wouldn't have let him out of my sight. And as it turned out, he ended up taking his life in our own home while all seven of us were there trying to help him. We were there together right at the very end. So. And it's been almost 14 years. Mm-hmm. It'll be 14 years. This July. This July. Yeah. But it's still really Oh, it's there. Yeah. Just like yesterday. Yeah. 
but <clears throat> a lot has happened in almost 14 years. A lot of good has come as a result of Timmy Thompson. Um, I'm not afraid to talk about Timmy, and that's why I take his picture with me everywhere I go, because I want people to know that this could happen to their child. I want people to know that a great kid like this could struggle with depression and it could happen to their own family members. So we started lots of kitchen table conversations through the years We're struggling teenagers. Um, I, I wanted parents to ask the questions, see how their kids are, check in with their kids. And we always had an open door policy in our house. You know, all of Timmy's friends came after we lost Timmy. And I said, you know, I didn't want the fallout. I didn't want another kid to take their lives. I wanted them to talk to their own family members, but if they weren't comfortable, come and knock on my door. My door was open. And I would get kids coming in at midnight. I'd be sitting in my pajamas in my den looking at pictures of Timmy at midnight, and I'd see these eyes peering in, and my husband and I would wave them in. But they were checking in with us, and we were checking in with them. And they'd come in and talk, and that's all they wanted to do was talk. And I think a lot of the times, Family members don't have that opportunity to talk. They don't really see what's going on with their kids because they're so busy with life. So, Where did Timmy fall in the lineup? Where, As far as, was he the oldest? Was he the youngest? No, middle. middle. So I had two daughters, Molly and Emily, that were 14 months apart. And then two and a half years later, I had Timmy. So he was this bounding energy, and I had a harness on that kid from the minute he was 18 months old because you only have two arms. So but when you get your third child, you know, you have to grab him and pull him in. And then two years later, we had Russell, and then uh, another two years, we had Haley. So three girls and two boys. Do you think that there was something about being that middle child that made him more likely to kind of try to take care of himself a little bit? Probably being the first male too, uh, independent. But um, yeah, no, he was he was kind of the center of the family because he did uh, bring so much energy to the family, and we loved the energy because you know we'd be sitting around and not doing anything. He'd be the first one to say, "Come on, let's go out, let's go outside and play, let's shoot some hoops, let's do this, let's do that." And all the kids were pretty athletic, so. We spent a lot of time outdoors, and they all skied, and they all played basketball, and they all played soccer. So I spent my life in a minivan taking them everywhere. But I loved every minute of that. The travel soccer, where we'd go to Maryland or Pennsylvania or wherever, and not just my own children, but all these other kids. So it was a busy, busy time. But he added a lot to that energy, and it was a lot of fun. You talk about him being very tuned into other people, mm -hmm. and sometimes people who are sensitive and tuned into other people, they end up carrying burdens for, for others as well. Mm -hmm. Do you think mm -hmm. that happened with, for him? I totally agree with that. I think um, in his mind that he didn't want to be a burden to his family. I think as he was thinking about that and thinking about the life that possibly he could have um, with this emerging mental health issue, that I think that he thought in his mind, I don't want to be a burden to my family. And I would give anything to go back and have that conversation with him and say, Tim, that's what families are all about. We're here to support each other. And it's not only my immediate family, but again, I come from 
large Irish Catholic family in Boston with eight kids. And my dad was a police chief in the town, and we did a lot of things. And uh, having having a large extended family who loved and adored him, um, the ripple effect through the family was just immeasurable because all of a sudden one minute Timmy was here and the next minute he was gone. So it wasn't just the impact on our small nucleus, it was the extended family and then the community. And when we lost him it was just incredible the amounts of people that came out because they knew he really was a great kid. You know, yeah, everybody has their, their moments, but he really, truly was a good, a good boy. And that's what, what uh, a lot of people wanted to pay tribute to that, that he, he was a kind soul, and he was very sensitive. It is possible to be all of those things and, and have depression. Mm-hmm. I mean, depression is, is it's a biologic process. Sure. So I'm not sure everybody thinks about it that way. There's such a stigma that is associated with mental illness, better Mm -hmm. than it used to be. Mm -hmm. We're talking about it more and we're realizing this more, but I have talked to patients who have for years suffered with anxiety and depression and don't want to talk about it with anybody else because they feel embarrassed somehow. Mm -hmm. And somehow it makes it so that they... They want to be positive. They want to help everybody else. They want to carry the burdens for other people. And they they can't, this, this feels like a dark place inside of them. Did you ever get that sense with him? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, I think, again, because it came on so suddenly and so quickly at the end of his senior year that we really, we didn't have enough time to deal with the depression that had come on so suddenly. So. Um, but I do, when I talk, I hope that by talking about it and being very public about depression, that people will understand that there are people out there to help. And don't be afraid of this crazy stigma about mental illness. We all have issues. We're human. And when you talk about it, I just hope that people will have a better understanding. So, you know, stop the stigma, be the voice. My youngest daughter, Haley, is, uh, has moved to Richmond, Virginia, and she's going for her master's. Obviously, her life was changed, turned upside down, but she's gone into social work. And uh, here's this little sixth grader who lost her big brother, who she adored. And now she's 26 and gonna get married in July, and she speaks like me the top of a mountain she spoke in front of a thousand people at a walk and he gives us the courage to go out there and go talk about it because you know if we tell our Timmy story that will save lives I can't tell you how many people talk about the stigma of suicide and how afraid they are but the more talk that you can the more times you talk to people the better off you'll be because you are destigmatizing it. Because people can talk about heart issues or cancer like nothing, but they can't talk about depression. Um, and I, and I, that's one of the things that I tell everybody. I'm going to go to my grave talking about getting rid of the stigma. 
because it's silly. You will save a life. Put an arm around somebody if they're struggling. Pick up the phone for somebody. Access services. Get to know your local um, support services. They know it. Your first responders are the people that know that when people are struggling. But just go the extra mile for people. And I think this place would be a lot better if people weren't so close-minded about mental health issues. Why do you think that they are? Again, the stigma. Because people feel like there's something wrong with me if I have dark periods or something. There's got to be something wrong with my family. Every family has issues. Every family. Nobody's perfect. But it's amazing the stories that I've heard through the years of just the simple acts of kindness that people have done uh, when people are in a dark place that uh, have saved lives, literally saved lives, opening doors for somebody who was just going to go and take their life because they were so tired of the day-to-day struggle that they had. And that person that opened the door and said, hey, how's your day, kind of snapped them out of it. I've heard so many stories from so many survivors. Little acts of kindness made all the difference in the world and snapped them out of whatever it was, their, their thought process at that time. Talk to me about, we've been talking more about the depression. Talk to me about the suicide. I mean, if, if depression has a stigma, suicide has that in spades, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's so, it's such a final solution. Mm-hmm. And I think all of us struggle with that. Sure. Well, obviously, people take their lives. They're not in the right frame of mind. We all know that. And suicide is a, it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And usually it goes hand in hand with somebody who's struggling with some sort of a depressive state and that's why if somebody is suicidal or if they've got suicide uh, thoughts don't leave them be with them until you can access services that somebody will be there some professional can help you Um, a lot of people will claim that they're suicidal and people will leave them unattended and they should have somebody there at all times You've always got to have somebody. Um, if they're if if they are, you know, tending to to talk about suicide. And there are enough professionals. There again, the first responders, most of them are trained, um, crisis intervention trained. They all have these uh, wonderful training models, and and they're there to help. So, um, I think a lot of times we have to have. Uh, more people that will be open to helping one another. And I think there, there's, a, there's a fear there that um, they don't want to extend themselves. But number one is stay with that person until you can have a professional help you. I guess what I'm, what's just so striking to me is you said that everybody in your family was home. Mm-hmm. You all were with Timmy. Mm-hmm. And it almost seems as if you had really, you were living what you're telling me other people should live. Mm-hmm. And still, he went through with this. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is just heartbreaking, really. Yeah. Yeah. It was. 
my youngest daughter, he had gone up into our bathroom, and my youngest daughter, you know, when the hair on the back of your neck goes up, she kept checking on him. And we were moving him around from his bedroom um, downstairs to upstairs. He had the uh, the high school pad downstairs in the basement because there, it was like a rite of passage when you're going off to college that you got to to have the downstairs suite. And he said to me a couple of days beforehand, Mom, it's too dark in the basement. I think I want to come upstairs. So we were all moving his furniture upstairs. And we were sh shuttling up and down and taking care of all of his clothes and his furniture and painted the room because we knew he was struggling. And he went into our bathroom and Haley had checked on him just 30 seconds beforehand. And the week before, our attic door had broken and um, we thought, we heard a bang and we thought it was the attic door coming down that had broken. And it was Timmy, he had shot himself in our bathroom. So we had no idea that he had gotten a hold of a gun, but he did, and it was devastating for all of us, but he had a plan in place, and it was a difficult, difficult time for all of us. sounds like you were doing everything that you could do. Yeah, we were. We really were. We were all with him. And as I tell all these kids, I think in life, they, they think that the problems that they have at the time are so difficult that they're not thinking as adults would um, that they're so severe at that stage that they don't think clearly enough because obviously their brains aren't as developed as adults but those small problems that they have as teenagers are so dramatic and so large that they can't conceptualize getting through that problem. And I think he just wore himself out. He had some relationships with some friends and uh, he just thought this was his way of checking out. You talked about your youngest who's now 26. 26, mm -hmm. getting her master's in social work. Mm -hmm. How are your other kids doing? Oh, they're all doing really well. My oldest daughter, Molly, is expecting uh, baby number two. My second oldest, Emily, is in South Korea with her husband. The military has two children. My son, Russell, is uh, at Unum, thriving in his job. And Haley is in Richmond, Virginia, so they're all they're all doing really well. 
but the tightness that we always had got even tighter after we lost him. It was almost like, you know, now the six of us were here against the world. And we got really, really tight. And there was nothing that we didn't hold back from each other. Because I was nervous not only for my husband and I, but I was nervous for the other four. I couldn't imagine going through life losing a sibling and not being able to vent that um, and not being able to have that security from one another. You've really maintained this positive energy in your life. Mm -hmm. You served on the board at the Center for Grieving Children and um, you've been associated with the Junior League of Portland for mm -hmm. a long time. Mm -hmm. You obviously do a lot of speaking about Timmy and about your family's experience and your experience. What have you learned as a result of all of this? I've learned not to be afraid. I think from all the years that I've volunteered with the Junior League of Portland, helped me because I've volunteered in so many different capacities, um, working with lots of nonprofits in Portland. I knew where to go to. We were instrumental in helping the Center for Grieving Children um, set up their organization and give them the some money early on and uh, provide volunteers. Um, so that was a no-brainer for me. I love the center, and the center is just an amazing place that makes people whole again. And uh, I had my entire family, neighbors, friends, whoever was in the house, within 48 hours, we were at the center. And Patricia Ellen, who used to work at the center, was there and ran a, was the facilitator in our deepest, darkest hour. But they, they were there. And if I hadn't been involved in my community, I never would have been able to access services right away. So I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm one of the lucky ones that had services right away. And then that kind of gave us the strength to move on, but it's easy to talk about Timmy because he's the one who's given me the strength and the courage to do it. He really has. I actually ran for public office early on because there was a, a vacancy and I figured, you know, maybe if I ran for office, I could possibly do some legislation in the state of Maine so people wouldn't be so nervous talking about suicide. And as it turned out, I lost. <laughs> I ran not once but twice, but it was a phenomenal experience. I got to meet so many people in Augusta and I really was able to learn my, uh, you know, kind of sharpen my skills on advocacy. and it became easy. I had a friend, Grace Eaton, who had lost her son. Um, and the two of us got together and we met with a representative uh, from Jay and he sponsored the bill. And before you know it, I worked really hard. I worked the phones and um, when the bill was starting to take shape, we fortunately had a blizzard in February of 2013 and um, I dialed about a hundred of these representatives and really told my Timmy story and it was easy because it came from the heart 
And I can't tell you how many of these senators and representatives would say, Nancy, I get it. You know, I've got a lot of constituents. I have people that take their lives all the time. But I think I put a personal story to that. And one thing led to another, and LD609 was created. And now, in all the public school systems throughout the state, every person that gets a paycheck from the state of Maine, be it a school bus driver, or a cafeteria worker, or a secretary, a teacher, admin, they all have to have training in suicide prevention, intervention, and awareness. So now people are talking about it and they're not afraid to talk about it. And all they have to do is just refer out, and it's a referral. And I'm hoping that those referrals will save lives. I think they have. And there's a video, Channel 8 did a video, and they show it every year. And uh, there's a lot of really good people that are in the school systems that have been talking this talk and walking this walk. And they've seen these kids come and go. And it's broken their hearts to see a lot of them not be productive members of society because we've lost them to suicide. And they get it, and they're very appreciative. So I get a tap on the shoulder at church, or I get a tap on the shoulder while I'm in the old port. I get a tap on the shoulder no matter where I am, and they say thank you. And that makes all the difference in the world. We've had, unfortunately, um, in the last few years, uh, several high schools in the area that have lost students, and one in particular in the middle of Portland, mm -hmm. and lost more than one student to suicide. How does this impact your um, energy around this topic? Are you, does it motivate you more to try to do more? It does. I, I'm a realist. I know we can't save everybody um, because we can't protect everybody. I think it's probably my father on the police side of things, protection, serving people. But um, I know that we can't save everybody, but I also know that we can plant the seed to save a lot more people. And I think talking about it, as all the mental health professionals would tell you, is going to save lives um, instead of just sweeping in under the rug and letting kids struggle and not being there with a reaching hand and helping them get those services. It's also important um, for people to know that not everybody grieves the same way. Mm -hmm. So for you... Um, losing Timmy has been a motivating factor and mm -hmm. has pushed you in the direction of advocacy and for other people that's not right the path they'll choose and that's okay that's okay that's okay everybody grieves in different ways but uh, Timmy gives me a lot of energy it's all that energy that we no longer have I think he's given it all to me and when I think of him I think happy thoughts I think of him, I think of his energy. And when I'm a little tired, he motivates me to kind of get out there. And when I want to go ahead and talk to somebody, if I'm a little nervous and I really don't want to go over and shake somebody's hand and say something, I think Timmy gives me the energy to do that. I do a lot of work over at uh, Spring Harbor Hospital and several committees. and. Even though I don't have him present at the table, I always introduce myself as Nancy Thompson, Timmy's mom. And I say I'm a suicide survivor, but uh, I'm here.
because I'm advocating for those that cannot advocate for themselves. I have a voice at the table and the voice is for Timmy. Well, I know this, despite all the energy you get from Timmy, I'm sure that this is not easy for you. So I appreciate your talking with me Mm -hmm. today and for all the conversations that you've had and as the mother of um, a teenager and two 20-somethings, this is a really important topic. And when I think about you opening your home to the members of your community to bring them in, the kids, the teenagers, the adults, it sounds like um, I'm really appreciative Hmm. that you made that effort. It's really important to have people like you who are doing this work. Thank you. I've met a lot of great people along the way, a lot of suicide survivors that uh, have had some very difficult times. But um, I think putting that armor on somebody's shoulder and being there for them is more important than not being able to be there for somebody. So it's a definition of a good friend. If we can all help one another, I think we can save some lives. I encourage anybody who is having difficulty with depression or thinking about suicide or knows anyone, and you don't have to be a doctor, you don't have to be a healthcare provider. If you know that somebody is struggling, um, please do try to access services. There are a lot of people who are out there who are able to help, um, and really small gestures can make a big difference. So um, please listen to what Nancy has been talking about and um, take it seriously because this is something that we are all in together, and we all need to work on this together with the people in our community. I've been speaking with Nancy Thompson, who is an insurance agent who lives in Cape Elizabeth. In 2004, her son Timmy took his life as a result of depression. Since that time, both Nancy and her husband, Tim, have been speaking publicly about their loss to save other lives. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Maine Magazine, Aristel, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music are by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producers are Paul Koenig and Brittany Cost. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasik. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Rebecca Falzano, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.